Welcome back to A Kingdom Perspective with Steve and Scott. On this episode, we recorded live during our our church service at uh, Northwest Christian Church in Central Illinois, where we both minister. We talked about A Kingdom Perspective on New Year's resolutions. Hope you enjoy. New Year's Eve, we thought that it would be appropriate to uh, to talk about a kingdom perspective on goals and resolutions, because uh, New Year's is usually the time, the first of the year, a brand new year, people set goals and people uh, make New Year's resolutions. Um, and so before we get to resolutions, I guess I want to uh, ask you know, we've talked, when we, we talked about Christmas and when we talked about Thanksgiving, we asked about traditions. And both of us had a number of family traditions that are associated with those holidays. Um, but what about, what about New Year's? Do you have any family traditions for New Year's? Yeah, I, I've got to say this, New, New, Year's, New Year's Eve is really, like, not a big deal to me, <laughs> to, to be totally honest with you. I, I mean, we don't have um, a, a, lot of, a lot of traditions. I, I will say the time in between Christmas and New Year's for me and my family is kind of sacred. Uh, that, that we usually have a greatly reduced schedule, if a schedule at all. And so we kind of sit around, watch movies, enjoy family time. Sometimes we travel. Uh, we didn't this year. Uh, you know, we had a newborn in our house, so we stayed pretty close to home. And, uh, but yeah, yeah new, we don't have a lot of New Year's traditions. I've always been somebody, even as a kid, that went to bed pretty early. And so <laughs> usually my New Year's is Cheryl... No. Wait, Wake well, up. The ball's about to drop right. sort of thing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, all right, let's go to bed. It yeah. took me so. forever when we moved to Illinois to get the hang of it's a when, the, when the yeah. ball drops. Yeah. That it's not at midnight. And I'm like, I, right. I missed it. Oh, I, get, I get to see Pitbull now. That's right. all that's left. <laughs> and, and I missed the ball. It is really weird because, uh, you know, growing up in Michigan, it's like the New Year. Right. You're like counting 11. down and like, yeah. what happened? Yeah. It's okay. Well, whatever. But, uh, we, we have, I, I'm like you, we don't have a ton of New Year's traditions. We do have one um, that, that since I've been an adult and since we've had kids, um, my wife Sarah makes stromboli, like inside out pizza, um, and she makes like a whole mess of it in the morning. And then we like graze on it all day long and watch movies. Hmm. So that's kind of our. New I'm going to make that our tradition. <laughs> that's a pretty Can you good one. Have Sarah make have my Sarah family some probably, yeah. yeah. So so yeah, we, we yeah. kind of eat on that all day long. This year, uh, this year we're doing a Harry Potter marathon. We've taken on, uh, I believe, what we read was like was it 20 hours? 20 hours to get through all the Harry Potter movies. So um, we're going to be starting that this afternoon. Um, and uh, I'm giving up football because my team is awful, and uh, we're going to watch <laughs> Harry Potter. Uh, today Football does not matter tomorrow. today. No, it's, it really doesn't. No, it's yeah. not for people around here anyway. No, yeah. <laughs> for anybody in the Midwest, right. it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so we're doing that. But I, I got thinking, like, did we have any traditions growing up? And I remembered when I was in high school, um, the church that I went to was part. We did a lock-in, uh, a community lock-in with a bunch of other churches, and we did it at uh, a place called Joe Dumar's Fieldhouse. And this place was amazing. So the lock-in started actually at noon on New Year's Eve, and we, we had eight hours of skiing. We had a lift ticket that was good for eight hours, and so we went skiing for eight hours uh, at Pine Knob at a mountain that wasn't too far away from where I grew up, and then uh, after that, we went to uh, Joe, Joe Dumar's Fieldhouse, which had uh, basketball courts and an ice skating rink and laser tag and whirly ball and an arcade and just like everything that a high school student could ever you know, dream of. <laughs> And, uh, and there was always a concert. They would bring in, like, a popular Christian band and do a concert, and the concert would, like, count down to midnight, and then we'd all celebrate. One year, we actually rented out a movie theater, and I got to see the, the original Star Wars movie in a theater. 
because the original Star Wars movie um, came out before I was born. So if you want to feel old, there you go. Um, and so I got to see the original Star Wars in a movie theater, which was super cool. So that was a tradition, I guess, for a few years growing up. Well, now you can look back on that and say, man, as a kid, I ruined New Year's Eve for a lot of adults. Yeah, right, exactly. The adults had to be, well, as, as a youth minister now, I'm like, man, I'm a slacker. Like, look at what they did for me when I was a kid. And like, I'm like, oh, yeah, youth group is, we'll meet next week, guys. <laughs> Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, the importance, like goal setting in, in general, like the importance of it, because uh, I do think, I, I'm not a, a super like, goal-oriented person, but I do think it's important for a couple reasons. One, one is purpose, uh, and, and that I find that it is very easy, and maybe you feel this way too, that it's very easy to kind of go through life reacting to what's happening to you. And the idea of goal setting helps you to have um, a little bit of, of purpose to your life. I was always taught this actually about preaching, that um, when, when I was being taught to preach, I was always taught to manuscript. And so when I come up here to preach, I'll have like a 10-page manuscript of every word I intend to say. Now, I, I don't stick to the manuscript. Right. So I say, I say more uh, or less than I intend to say. But what that manuscript does for you is it guarantees that you have a purpose to your sermon. And goals are the same way with life that goals kind of guarantee that you are working toward um, a purpose. And the Apostle Paul actually taught this uh, a little bit in the book of uh, Philippians chapter 3. He said, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul said, man, it is important to have a goal. It is important to be forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. It gives your life purpose. Right. Yeah, and I think that it's really important that we live on purpose and not on accident. Um, I, think that, I think that living on purpose uh, and, and just, not, just not going through life and letting everything happen to you because um, there's so much that's out of our control. Reacting. But, yeah, yeah. But, when, but when we have control over something, we can set a goal, we can, we can have a resolution. When we have control over something, it's important that we take control um, and, and, and do those things. You know, the Bible, the Bible calls that stewardship. Um, I, I think that's the other side of this coin, that goals give us purpose, but goals help us be good stewards. They help us manage the resources that God's given us. I've not been wildly successful in setting New Year's resolutions uh, over the course of my life, but one that, I guess it wasn't technically a New Year's resolution, but it was close, um, was uh, about a decade now, my wife and I decided that um, we had let our personal debt spiral out of control and we needed to do something about it. Um, and so we did. Uh, and, and that's one resolution that we, we were able to follow through on. We, uh, you know, through a series of bad decisions and, and poor planning, you know, like we just let, we're letting things happen to us with our money. We found ourselves in a hole of somewhere in the neighborhood of $27,000 of credit card debt and, and just a whole bunch of personal debt. And uh, we were living from check to check. And we were, you know, didn't, didn't exactly know how we were going to make ends meet. And certainly we were unable to be helpful to other people. Um, when, when, there were, when other people and needs came up, we, we, I mean, we want to help, but we're just not able to help without going deeper and deeper into debt. And so uh, we did something about it. And through uh, help from the Dave Ramsey program, the fi Financial Peace University seminars, um, 
they, they helped us to kind of set some steps and, and, uh, and you know, rather than, because the goal seems so huge, and, right. and rather than just going after the whole goal, it was kind of setting smaller goals and celebrating each time we get to one of those, you know, and, and, and realize one of those goals. But in about two years, two really, really difficult, lean years, um, we climbed out of debt. And, and we became debt-free like 10 years ago. And, uh, and then we celebrated. We celebrated the big, the big goal uh, by taking a trip to Disney World. So we're debt-free, <laughs> so we're going to spend all our money. But, I, but, but don't worry, though. We did it with cash. We went to Disney World. We paid cash for a family Disney trip. And that was our big celebration for getting out of debt-free. And so I haven't been wildly successful at resolutions. But when, they ha- when there have been resolutions that are, that are important enough, you know, when it's been important enough, that I see this, we have to do something here, um, I've been able to follow through. I've been able to, right. to be proactive instead of just reactive. Because God's given you a certain amount of money. He's given you a certain amount of time on this earth that, that he knows. He's given you a, a certain amount um, of resources, all that stuff. So you want to steward it well. Right. And I, I, think goal, I, I think our goals, as we transition to different types of goals, but I think our goals need to have that in mind, that man, I want to steward what God has given me well. Yeah, Jesus tells this parable in Matthew 25 that's familiar to a lot of us, the parable of the talents. And, uh, and I think that that, that word it, it loses a little bit in translation. When you say talents, it makes, us, makes me think of abilities. But uh, a talent was a, a sum of money, a, lar- a very large sum of money, actually. It was, uh, my NIV Bible study notes tell me that it was the equivalent of like 20 years wages at minimum wage. Wow. Um, and so it was a, an enormous amount of money. And Jesus tells this story about talents, about this wealthy guy uh, that, that is leaving for a time. And while he's gone, he wants to make sure that people are managing uh, all, of, all of his resources. And so he entrusts, you know, five talents, which is like a lifetime of wealth, five talents to one servant and two talents to another servant and one talent to a third servant. And uh, while he's gone, uh, those servants are managing his, his money. And, uh, and we're told in the story that the first servant, the first and second servant both kind of take what they've been given and double it. Uh, they, they use uh, the, the money and they manage it so well that it doubles in size. But the third servant was afraid that he would lose it all. And so instead of doing anything with it, he buried it in the ground. Uh, and then when the master comes back, he, uh, he congratulates the first two and rewards them. You know, well done. I, I left you with this much and you've doubled it. You've, you've managed it well. And so th- when it comes to stewardship, there's something more to it than just like caretaking. Then it's not just taking care of it so that it doesn't go away. It's using it. Managing it. It's it. managing it. It's using yeah. it to build on what God's given you. And so God gives us, uh, God gives us these things on purpose and we need to, ha- we need to have a purpose. But then God doesn't give us this stuff so we can just bury it in the ground. God gives us our resources and he gives us our time and he gives us our talents, you know, our, our abilities. He gives us all these things so, in order for us to use them. And, and, and so in, in order for us to do that most effectively, we need to, we need to set goals. We need to have resolutions. We need to uh, be intentional. We, you know, I've heard it said that I don't want things to just happen to me. I want to happen to things. And, and that's what I want for my life. I want to happen to the things around me when I can. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've shared this before in a sermon, but I, you know, I'm uh, 40, uh, 41, about to be 42, you know, with a newborn. And I had started to, to, to pray. I don't know if this is a good prayer, bad prayer, indifferent prayer, whatever, but I had started to pray, God, I'd really, um, I would really like to have a, a long life because I was uh, 17 when my mom passed away. 
and I know how hard it is to be that young. And it's like, man, I'm having kids when I'm a little bit older. God, would you give me a long life? And God had really laid it on my heart, you know, a year or so ago. It's like, I mean, you're praying this prayer, but you're stuffing your pie hole with sugar. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I can turn water into wine, but hey, I, I, you know, or turn, uh, you know, do a miracle like that. But you got, you got to do your part, and that's that management piece. It's like, you know, I need, I need to do better. I mean, I can pray that, and hopefully God grants that prayer, but I need to take better care of my body right. and, and eat better. Right, yeah, so. one, it's one thing that I, I, have, the de- I have this desire, yeah. right. you know, I want, yeah. to, but it's another thing to actually follow through, right. to set the goals and, and follow through yeah. the goals. Yeah, and I'm going to start that tomorrow. <laughs> Not to put you on the spot or make you super uncomfortable, but that's exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah. How many times have you started that particular goal over the course of your life? Yearly. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it, it is something embedded into my family's DNA. Right. You, you know. I. You know. Sad. Eat cake. Happy. <laughs> eat cake. You know. Just a normal day. Eat cake. Standard emotional response. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. It's just any emotion. It doesn't really matter which one. So yeah. I mean, th- th- there comes a time where, you know, I, I say yearly, and that's a little bit tongue in cheek. But there usually comes a time where I'm like, this is getting out of control. And I'll, I'll usually nip it at that point. You know, but I am very drawn to that temptation. Yeah. Well, but for I think... A, a wide variety of reasons. Right. Well, and one, you're not the only one. And, right. and two, I think, that's, I think that speaks to an, a normal, the normal way that goals work. You know, yes. it's not like you set yes. a goal and you reach your goal and then you're good for life and you don't have to pay attention to it anymore. I think a lot right. of times you come back and you find yourself revisiting the goal or, or shifting it a little bit and, and you know, making, making it work for your lifestyle, and that's another part of it. Like if you set these rigid goals and then your life changes, you know, this is gonna be my budget every month and then, you know, something happens, like your car breaks, like, cause that never happens to anybody. And, and it, it shoots your whole budget right in the foot. You have to be fluid enough to be able to adapt and not just chuck the whole goal, the whole resolution. Be like, ah, oh, forget it, I'm not gonna save money anymore, but, but I'm, I'm gonna, you know, adjust my goal. And I think that's important. Well, and you know what, I can tell, like when I've talked about this before, and maybe you sensed it when you were talking too, but I, I can tell that people get really uncomfortable, like when you talk about your debt that you had, or when I talk about my struggle with food, there's a discomfort in the room. But I, but I honestly believe that if you don't name it, you can't change it. I, I really, I, I, that's why I do this in part, is I want to be helpful to other people, but also you got to call it what it is. I overeat a lot. You know, and and, and I it, overspend right. <laughs> yeah. a lot. So, so if if you're not willing to just kind of call out that issue, then you can't set a goal and you can't accomplish the goal. So, well, talking about resolutions, as we as we sat down to kind of think through this, what does it look like to set goals and and specifically resolutions? You know, at New Year's time we call them resolutions, and the rest of the year we call them goals. But New Year's time they're resolutions, and uh, we we Steve and I kind of walked through the Bible and and. Very interesting. I'd never seen this before. Steve pointed this out to me that that there are actually five places in Scripture where someone resolved to do something, um, and that that's fascinating to me. And so I want to I want to have us kind of spend a little bit of time um, walking through those places because I think there's a lot we can learn from what people in the Bible resolved to do. This is the first. This is an outline of the first message I ever preached. 
it took me 10 minutes <laughs> to go through five passages. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, if you're following along uh, in your Bible, the first one we're going to look at is in Psalm 17, verse uh, 3 through 5. And, and depending on the translation that you're using, uh, you may not immediately see this word resolved uh, because different translations translate this word different ways. But I promise you it's the same word in all five, uh, in all five scriptures we're going to look at today. And so in Psalm 17, 3 through 5, uh, in the NIV, it says, Though you probe my heart, though you examine me at night and test me, you will find that I have planned no evil. My mouth has not transgressed. Though people tried to bribe me, I've kept myself from the ways of, ways of the violent through what your lips have commanded. My steps have held to your paths. My feet have not stumbled. So this is the first time in scripture that we, re we read about someone resolving to do something. And in this case, the psalmist resolved not to do something. Um, he resolved not to do evil on purpose. That's the NIV says, I, I, I planned no evil. You know, when you search me, he invites, he invites God. This is a scary thought. He invites God to search me. Uh, look into my heart, look into my motivations, look into you know, what other people can't see, you can, and, and look at it and, and, and determine my character uh, because I have resolved not to do evil on purpose. And he goes on to say, whether it's actions or words, I, I resolve not to do evil on purpose. And he gets to an important aspect of making resolutions, and that's our intentions, you know, you, you've heard, you all have heard the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And, uh, you know, intentions get a bad reputation, but intentions are important. God does care about what's in your heart. God does care about your motivation, about why you do the thing that you do. And so God does care when, when, when you say, I, I pl I'm planning to do no evil. I intend not to do evil on purpose or not to, to speak evil on purpose. It doesn't mean that intentions are all that matters, but good intentions matter. Because sometimes things just happen out of our control. We don't intend for something to be evil, but evil comes anyway. But we didn't intend for it to happen. And that's different. You know, when, right. when I intend and I, I purposely inflict harm on someone versus it ha happening as an accident, I point this out to my kids all the time. Like, we, we have to establish, like, wait a minute, did you do that to your brother on purpose or was it an accident? Because it changes the way I'm going to react to the situation. If you did that on purpose, then you're a sociopath. But if you did it on accident, then we can be okay here, right? And so, and so like, it, it, it matters. Your intentions matter. And I think that's the bottom line of this resolution, that my intentions are going to matter as much as my actions. Yeah, I remember when we were, uh, uh, when we were, we were trying to pay for our wedding you know, years ago now, um, but we were, it was really feeling tight. And I remember I'd gone to Cheryl and I said, what do you think about like, if we just stopped you know, giving to the church for a while to, to help pay for the wedding? And she had made the comment, I'll never forget this, she said, I mean, I don't think we should plan to do the wrong thing. <laughs> and that's basically what this, what the, you know, you're planning to do something, right. you know, and, and that's, that's what, you know, we, we kind of recoil at the word evil, but really it's just describing, don't plan to do the wrong thing. I resolve yeah. not to do the wrong thing on purpose. That's a good and, resolution. Yeah, it's a good resolution. And um, it, it goes into our, our second one it, from Second Chronicles. There's a story in there about Jehoshaphat, uh, the, the, the king of Israel, that there's a huge army. That it's a great is a, name, by the way. Yeah, Jehoshaphat. You yeah, have a baby. You want to steal that way. Um, that this huge army is heading their way. And um, Jehoshaphat, as the king, is really, the, the text says he's alarmed. He's scared of this army coming because he, he's pretty sure they're going to, um, uh, be defeated. And Second Chronicles 23 says, Alarmed, uh, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. 
And so in his fear, he saw this thing happening and he was afraid, but his fear drove him to prayer. His, his fear uh, drove him to God. And I think that this is a really um, great resolution for the next year, that man, my first instinct is going to be to pray. Because a lot of times our first instinct is, man, I got to make plans or I got to solve this or I got to get this three-pronged plan in place to address the situation. And Jehoshaphat teaches us that for a resolution this year, that man, whatever I face in 2018, whatever comes my way, my first instinct is going to be to pray. What a great resolution. Well, and not only that, he proclaimed a fast for the entire country. Like Everyone's going to join me in this. When it would have made more sense to start preparing for war, there's an army coming. They are on the way. Right. And instead of getting ready for war, he's making everyone not eat food. Right. And pray. (laughs) You know that doesn't make a ton of sense. Because a lot, because a lot of a lot of times our you know our reaction is I have tried everything else. Now it's time to pray. Right. But that Jehoshaphat's first course of action was to pray. I think that's good. Yeah, and I think that's a fantastic resolution that I'll turn to God first this year. Right. I think that's amazing. Well, the next one as we're walking through scripture is found in Daniel uh, 1.8. This one was the most familiar of the five to me. Um, and so the background of this is uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had uh, just conquered Jerusalem and he took many of the Jews back with him to Babylon. Uh, and in this book, in Daniel, the king is training the cream of the crop of young people from Judah uh, in order to control that country without having to take it over completely. Uh, He would train these young people and and indoctrinate them in Babylonian culture, and then he would put them back in leadership in their native country so that they would be loyal to him and they would lead his way and bring the culture of Babylon into this nation that that Babylon had conquered. And it was really an ingenious strategy uh, for for him to employ. And so that's what he was doing with Daniel and and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, uh, also familiar to us. Uh, in terms of those stories, and, uh, and his goal was to indoctrinate them in Babylonian ways and customs, and he would install them back in leadership. Uh, and the plan was that he would immerse them uh, in the culture of Babylon. They would be immersed in the culture of their enemies until they adopted that culture of their own. Uh, as their own culture. And I think this is particularly applicable to where we are today. Uh, I feel like we're immersed, I don't know, if not our enemies, but immersed in a culture that is not overtly Christian, uh, and we're immersed in this culture. Uh, and, and so I think the book of Daniel has a lot to say to us. And, and so in Daniel chapter 1, in verse 5, it says, The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, the best food that there was. Uh, they, were, they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself that way. So that's verse 5 and verse 8. So my question is, what does Daniel hope to accomplish here? He's taking this stand, but he's already submitted to having a new name. They've, they've already renamed him uh, with a Babylonian name. Um, and, and he's submitted to a foreign education curriculum. Uh, he's, he's already in the program uh, in Babylon, and he's learning these things. So how, why does he draw the line at diet? What is it about the royal food that Daniel, enough is enough. I'll do this, but not this. And what is it? And, and I, many people, I've heard it said a lot that Daniel's trying to stay kosher here. That Old Testament food laws pre- would prevent him from eating a lot of the rich foods that would have been served uh, at the royal table in Babylon. But there's no Old Testament law against wine. 
It says that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, but there's no Old Testament law against wine unless he was taking a Nazarite vow, and there's no indication of that in the book of Daniel. So why? Why does Daniel include wine in the fast? Why does he take this stand? And I think that it's a lot more likely that Daniel's stand here is about relying on God instead of relying on Babylon. Because if these young men allow their minds and their bodies to be fed by the Babylonian culture and they are successful, then who gets the credit? God or Babylon? If they eat, the, eat all the Babylonian food and they, and they just adopt the entire culture, then it's Babylon that has made them what they are. But by refusing these foods, they're determined to rely on God for their health and for their well-being. They've, they've decided this is the area this is the area where I'm going to take a stand in my life to, to remind myself to rely on God. I could eat the food. God's okay with it. But I need to make sure that there's somewhere in my life that I remember that I need to rely on God and, and not forget him. And I think it's super interesting that the diet was private and not public, especially mm-hmm. for the times that we yeah. live in. It wasn't a po- this wasn't a political protest. They didn't stage a food strike. Oh, Facebook post. They didn't, right, they, they, didn't, they didn't go to Facebook. They didn't, go, they didn't take their cause to social media to rally support. This was about four young men and their God. That's all it was. That's all, that's all the further it went. Daniel quietly approached the chief official, asked his permission to be able to do this, um, ended, up, ended up saying, like, let us prove it to you. Like, let's do this for a couple weeks. And if, if we're, like, you know, like starving and falling over, then we'll, we'll eat the food. But in the, in the end, they actually weren't. They were healthier than anyone. And I've heard people use that to be like, yeah, that's, we shouldn't eat meat. See, that's the, the argument for veggies. But that's not what this is about. This is about making a commitment to remind myself how important it is to rely on God instead of all the culture around me. My son, Sam, over Christmas has announced that he's going to be vegetarian (laughs) um, because the animals are so cute. So it it doesn't feel like a real core conviction to me, (laughs) but (laughs) he's like, I'm done eating meat. Now the animals are so cute. Okay, more for me. Yeah, so um, the, the, uh, the, the next one, I really, I really like that because I, I do think Daniel provides us a really good example of living in a culture that is not super Christian, which I, I think almost anybody would um, agree, maybe not, but that we're in kind of a decline. American culture is in a bit of a decline in terms of Christian values. Um, and it, D- Daniel provides a good example for us yeah. of how to, how to operate that. Absolutely. Um, Luke, uh, Luke 9, let me just share with you the passage and we'll talk about it for a minute. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Uh, this passage is also could be translated as uh, very similar to the Chronicles passage that we looked, out, looked at earlier, that he set his face for Jerusalem. And it's a really interesting thing because as Jesus goes on the journey, he uh, experiences great hardship. Um, at, when, once he gets to Jerusalem, he's obviously crucified. He goes through these incredible hardships, incredible uh, pain. His loved ones turn their back on him. He's rejected. He's despised. He's ultimately crucified. And he knew all of that uh, ahead of time. And he, he set his face for it. And, and what we learn from Jesus in this is that I will, a, a great resolution is I will follow or obey God's will over mine. That, that, that this year I'm going to accept God's will. I'm going to embrace God's will. I may not always love it, but I will walk faithfully in it. And um, it, it's all about setting your face for what he has in store for you. Um, good, um, good, difficult, 
um, indifferent, whatever, that, that I'm going to embrace God's will and I'm going to follow after him. I think it's a good resolution. Yeah. Well, and here again, like in Daniel, um, th- there's the temptation to go public with this and, and make, it, make this this big deal, this yeah. big statement. You know, that on the way to Jerusalem, uh, the Samaritans rejected Jesus and his disciples, and the disciples got angry. They reacted right. in anger, said they wanted to call down fire from heaven to destroy the Samaritans. Um, they literally wanted to flame them. They wanted right. to just set them on fire and, and torch their lives to the ground, right? And that's not, the, the, you know, the, the way that G- Jesus says uh, that I know I'm going to be rejected. I'm headed to Jerusalem. They're, they're not going to accept me but I'm going anyway right. because it's what God wants for me. Yeah. You know, not trying to convince anyone of anything other than I'm going to do God's will. Yeah. Regardless of what other people think. And it's kind of a powerful image of setting your face. Right. That whatever resolution you feel like God is asking you to make this year that I'm man that's it's just a powerful image to me that I'm I'm staring that thing down right. and I'm going after it. Well, and, and this I think speaks to why would you ever resolve to do something that you know is going to fail? You know, right. Jesus knows he's, he's headed to Jerusalem to die. And that's not a failure, but, but I, I think sometimes from our perspective, we would see it that way. Like, Set I'm, a resolution that results in my destruction. Right, I'm, gonna, yeah, I, I'm not right. going to resolve to do something that's going to bring harm to me. And yet that's exactly what Jesus does here. I'm going to resolve to do this thing that God has asked me to do regardless of how it's going to affect me personally. Because God has asked me to do it. And that's a powerful resolution. That's why you have to set your face. Because without setting your face, there's no way you're following through on this. Yeah. But, but th- that's, that's, I it's think. It's like that whole thing about you never hear somebody say, I really feel like God is calling me to take this job that's going to result in less money. Right. You, you know, it, it's a, the thing we're always called to is the thing that's going to result in more money. Right. More health, more happiness. So, yeah, that is an interesting point. Well, and then I think that kind of leads right into this final one. It's in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, right at the beginning of the chapter. Um, and this is Paul uh, explaining to, uh, to, the, to the church at Corinth um, his mindset as he, uh, as he came to them to do ministry. Uh, and Paul says, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so Paul kept the cross at the, at the center of every message, every teaching he gave. He kept the cross at the center. And this church in Corinth came to faith by focusing on the cross and embracing the humility of it. Just in the, the chapter before this, Paul talks about how the, the message of the cross seems like foolishness to, to people who are on the outside looking in. It seems like a foolish way to live your life, um, but, but it's the way that they, they found freedom and came to Christ. And Paul asks in chapter 1, just before this, he asks a few questions and answers them himself. He, he asks, should Christians seek wisdom? And he says, only if it's the cross-centered wisdom of God. That's wisdom that matters. He, says, do, he asks, do Christians with godly wisdom merit special status? You know, Christians, are, are there such a thing as super-Christians that we should honor above others? And he says, no, there's not. But there will be eternal, eternal rewards. That there, that there are rewards for following Jesus. And he asks, can we recognize true wisdom uh, just, just through the way someone speaks? You know, when we go to hear an incredible speaker, like, oh, what amazing wisdom they have. And, and he says, you can if it points people to the cross. But if their wisdom brings attention to themselves and how talented they are, 
then no, it's not true wisdom from the cross. True wisdom points people to the cross, not to the person who's doing the speaking. And that's why Paul says, I resolve to know nothing but the cross. I make sure that I don't get in the way of what's really important. And this resolution that he has to focus on the cross, I think, gets at our motivations, the motivations for our faith. Are we motivated to use the gospel for political agendas or for material wealth or for leadership status? Because I think a lot of times we use Jesus for our own agenda rather than submitting and setting our face for the agenda that God has in mind for us. And Paul resolved to to not to do that. He resolved to be motivated by the cross, to, to bind the broken, to empower the powerless, to love the unlovely, to do the things that Jesus did, uh, motivated by the cross and the humility that comes along with it, the humility of submitting to that kind of death because God willed it. Yeah, well, and that really brings us to a concern as we start to kind of draw this to a conclusion, uh, which in preaching language is 10 more minutes. So but I didn't want to throw people a bone uh, about that. But is that there's a, there's a danger, there is a danger with, with goals that, that we wanted to take just a few minutes to discuss, and, and that's the danger of humanism. And uh, if you're not familiar with, with that teaching, humanism is a way of thinking that says the point of my relationship with God, the point of spirituality, um, the point of Jesus, the, 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 the point of the cross and resurrection, the point is, is humans, it's, it's me, that, that human beings are at the center of, of the story. And, and what the Bible teaches is that the point of all of that, the point of spirituality, the, the point of Jesus and all of that is actually the glory of God. That the point of all of life is the glory of God. It, it's, not, it's not human beings. That, that we, um, you see it sometimes with uh, a lot of Christian music that's out there. You, you hear it in a lot of sermons that human beings get placed in the center of the message. And the glory of God through Jesus Christ is the center of the message. Now, it begs a question. You say, well, wait a second, I thought Jesus like became a servant, and I, I thought that through the gospel that, that we as human beings were, were forgiven, and we do benefit, and you know, it is good for us, and it absolutely is. But what Jesus taught, and I really believe this is true, is that I am best served when he is most praised, all right? So when, when God's glory is full on, on display, I am a, a benefactor of that. I am forgiven. I am set free. I am given eternal life. But the point of it is the glory of God. And I am best served when he is most praised. When I am most praised, when I end up in the center of it, bad things happen. Things get out of whack. And so I think as you're setting goals, I think you can set goals in a way that has God's glory kind of front and center. So I'll use an example that I used earlier, like health and and wellness and weight and all of that stuff. There is a way to set that goal that is kind of humanistic, that man, I've got a vacation coming up to Florida this year. I wanna wanna look good in a bathing suit, whatever. I, I need to lose this weight. Right? That, I've that, never looked I've never thought that either. But just yeah, yeah. entire life. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, physically impossible for me to do that. <laughs> but um, so th- there, there's a way to do that that is humanistic, or there's a way to frame it as you know what. I can't live the life God has called me to live, with my current health the way it is. I, I can't. Um, I can't serve my family the way I need to serve them. I can't serve the church the way I need to serve the church. I, I can't do what he's asking me to do with my health the way that it is. So I, I need to get healthier. That's placing God's glory. To use your example of finances, 
it's like, man, this is just causing so much stress in our life and I don't want to feel stress. That, that's kind of a humanistic way of, of categorizing that. Another way to do it is, man, we can't be as generous as God wants us to be. We can't do what God has called us to do with our current debt load. Right. So, we, you know, so setting goals is good. But you want to have God's glory at the center of it. And you can frame almost any goal that we've talked about in a way that gives glory to God. Well, and absolutely. that In the aftermath of coming out of debt, we've been able to be more generous than, than we've ever, ever been before in our lives. Um, I mean, we were, we were giving a tithe to the church you know, throughout the, the entire process, but um, we're, we're able to do so much more now, you know, that, that, that we, we support uh, two compassion kids and made, made it now as a time commitment that we never would have been able to make sacrificially uh, just a decade ago, that, that God has, has used this event, you know, we took control of our finances and now we are able, we're able to help send students on mission trips and we're able, we're able to give, we're able to help people, we're able to help people who are in the situation that we were in not that long ago. And that's, we, we want to be a blessing, but in order to be a blessing, I have to set goals. I have to, but, but, but I set goals for the glory of God. That's, that's, that should be the motive, that I'm motivated to set goals, not just for me, you know, not just to lose weight so I look better or, or, or you know, get my finances order, in order so I can feel more secure, but to set goals that will bring God glory. You've benefited, though, and I have too. You've benefited from the glory of God. Absolutely. But the glory of God, when, when you are at the center instead of the glory of God, it, it almost like it, it turns in on itself and the goal becomes the God. Yeah. And that's not good because it can't support that. Right, yeah. So this, finances become the God or good right. health becomes the God. It's not good. Well, this morning, this passage just hit me. Um, this is in James chapter 4, 13 through 15. And it's this interesting perspective on goals um, where James says, Listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So it, James doesn't say, don't set goals because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. James says, line your goals up with God's. If it's God's will, I'll do this. If, if, if this is what God wants for me, if God wants me to lose weight and get healthy, if God wants me to get my finances, my finances in order so that I can be more generous and so that I can help others and be a blessing, if God wants me to do this this year, I will set my face, even if I don't know what the outcome is going to be, because it will bring God glory, and I trust that when God is glorified, I, I benefit, because God loves me. Cheryl's dad is a real master at this. Like, we'll, we'll ask him a question you know, like, hey, can you commit to this or can you do this? And he'll usually say, I need to pray about it. I, I need to seek God on that first. And, and sometimes you're like, I kind of just like a yes or a no, <laughs> like right now. But you, but, but you know what? He's right. I'm wrong. You, you, should, you should be seeking God on every decision. You know, he, he's right and I'm wrong to just want an answer carte blanche, you know, right, right then. You know, it's better to seek God. It is. So that your goals are aligned it with is. his now, glory, not I, mine. I will say, though, that some people use that as an excuse for indecision sure, and yes. inaction and right. not doing anything. Right. But like, you know, should I, you know, get out of bed this morning? Let, right. let me pray to God about it while yeah. I fall back asleep for three more hours. Yeah. You know, like, so I, I think that a good place for us to land is Micah 6.8 because I think that there are places in Scripture where God is crystal clear about what he's looking for from us. And yes. this is one of them. 
Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. If you want to set goals this year that line up with the heart of God, there are three areas, three categories. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. You don't have to pray about it. Right. Just do it. You know that's what God wants from right. you. Yeah. So set goals in that direction. So what's the kingdom perspective? When it comes to goals and resolutions, uh, there's, there's lots of different perspectives. Should we do it? Shouldn't we do it? How should we set goals? Shouldn't we set goals? The kingdom perspective is that we should set goals, but the goals that we set should bring glory to God. Mm-hmm.